0: Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Four and a half years ago, my wife Catherine and I said goodbye to all of our worldly belongings as they had been placed into a moving truck to make the journey from Chattanooga, Tennessee to Washington, D.C. They were going ahead of us. I still had one last Sunday at St. Paul's Church, my former church, and after that morning of worship in that very beautiful space, we climbed into our overflowing car and began our own journey to our new home in Washington, D.C. We weren't alone, though. Catherine was nearing the end of her first trimester, and our not-yet-born first child was traveling with us. The doctor told us that he was the size of a about a small plum at that point. It was a long drive, and it probably felt much longer than 600 miles to my sweet wife as she was experiencing a good bit of pregnancy sickness in those early days. Many of you all know the rest of the story of Charles's birth and me missing my first Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services here at St. John's Church, much to the displeasure of our former rector. That was actually the only restriction that he, he gave to me in those first days. After he congratulated Catherine and me on her pregnancy, he said to me, don't have a baby on Christmas Day. I don't do Christmas Day services. And so it was a fun phone call that I got to make to Luis from the hospital room that Christmas Eve. <laughs> I think about that journey, that journey each year, though, as we, as we get to the fourth Sunday of Advent. That's where we are today. While, while much of Advent is about darkness, when we get to Advent, four things start to turn and we begin to see the light. This Sunday is sometimes called Mary Sunday, and that's because we we hear a bit of what happens before Jesus' birth on this Sunday each year. In year A of the lectionary cycle of readings, we, we hear from Matthew's gospel account, which tells a good bit of the birth narrative from Joseph's perspective. But in years B and C, and we're in year C this year, we hear Mary's perspective from Luke's gospel account. Luke's version, as you all know, contains all of the cherished details about the birth that we that we love the inn and the manger, the star, the shepherds, and of course the angels. Matthew is a bit darker, and most churches tend to stay away from that version when we're staging our various Christmas pageants. Tom Long, the professor of preaching, the former professor of preaching at Emory, tells the story of how one year at his church's Christmas pageant he encouraged all of the older kids in the church to read along in Matthew's gospel account as they were telling the story of the magi, the wise men presenting their gifts to the baby. Long says that one older child decided to, to keep on reading in the story and she got to the part where King Herod gets furious with the magi and orders that every male child should be killed and she stood up in the middle of the pageant and said, stop, this is a terrible story We'll stick with Luke's gospel account this year when we gather tomorrow for our Christmas Eve services. What we're hearing today takes place right before that great birth story. In today's gospel reading, we hear that Mary, who is Herself, nearing the end of her first trimester, takes a a journey from Nazareth to a Judean town out in the hills. It was probably a journey of about 75 or 80 miles, depending on the town. Mary's cousin Elizabeth is, is well past childbearing years, and yet she is pregnant. And so Mary goes with haste to see her. Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy, and she's carrying the child that we've been reading about these past two Sundays, John the Baptist. The text says that when Mary arrives, John begins to leap with joy in Elizabeth's womb. Many biblical scholars have spent a lot of time trying to figure out why Mary makes this journey to see her cousin Elizabeth. It's all speculation, but some have wondered if if maybe she was visiting Elizabeth as a way of caring caring for her older cousin during what was likely a a high-risk pregnancy. Others have wondered if this visitation was Mary's parents' way of trying to protect their daughter from rumors and scandal. Mary was pregnant out of wedlock, after all, so maybe they, they send her away to be with her cousins for a while out of the, the public eye. Still others have wondered if maybe Mary visits Elizabeth because she is scared. She has been visited by an angel, after all, who tells her that she will bear the Son of God, and she is may be terrified at this news. Angels are frightening beings in the scriptures and not the the Cary Grant's or the Henry Travers types that we've turned them into. So maybe Mary visits Elizabeth to go into hiding after receiving this life-changing news. That last view, that last view is I think often the one that we that we take in the church. Mary, meek and mild and scared. Think of the statues, the icons, the other religious imagery and hymnody which tends to portray Mary as the quiet, passive mother. But I don't think that's the Mary that we encounter today. We didn't read what happens next in the story this morning, but, but our choir sang it beautifully. They sang those next ten verses uh, from Luke's gospel account just a few minutes ago. It's on page three of your service bulletin, uh, the, the canticle three, the Magnificat, we call it, uh, if you want to read it a little later. It's a, it's a wonderful song that Mary begins to sing. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And then a couple of verses later, she says, he has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This isn't Mary pure and lowly, but, but Mary strong and hope-filled. This song is, as my professor of New Testament liked to call it, the most terrifying and the most exciting text of the Bible. It's exciting, he said, because we hear Mary proclaiming that, that God in Christ is going to bring justice and mercy and salvation to all of the world. But it's also terrifying because Mary is saying that if we are not working on God's side to bring about that justice and that mercy, then we are very soon going to be cast down. Paul Tillich, the great twentieth century Lutheran theologian, once once said that everyone has a religion. Everyone has a religion, he said. And and by that he meant that there is something that is important, something that is of great value to each and every one of us. And, And what is that for you today? What what is important to you, to us as a church? Or maybe to say it in the biblical way. What do you worship? Tillich said that if we want to learn about another person's religion, all that we need to do is ask them what it is they worship. Mary's Magnificat, her great song, gives us the opportunity to ponder our true religion, what our true religion might be. For some, myself included at times, I I think our religion, I think my religion is, is all about those very things that Mary sings about today. Might and riches and power and position, those things in and of themselves are not bad. Good things have been and can be done in the world with great riches and power and strength. But it's when those things, or, or anything for that matter, begin to take control and chart the very course of our lives, it's when that happens that they can very easily and very quickly become our gods. What, what is it that you worship? Mary's song announces, Christ has come to challenge the, the structures of sin and death the devil and oppression, Christ has come in the strength of the Lord to do what the Lord has always done all throughout the scriptures, to lift up the lowly, to free the enslaved, to to feed the hungry, to give justice to the widow, the orphan, and the refugee. We can hear Mary's song as a song of judgment, or we we can choose to hear this song as an invitation, a call to join with God in in this salvific work. We can hear it as a a call to change, a call to reorient our lives and then to go out and change the world. As our presiding bishop is fond of saying time and time again, if you ever hear him preach, on God's own he won't, on our own we can't, but together with God and with each other we can change the world. As we approach the Christmas season, and as we gather with Mary and Joseph, the angels, the shepherds, and, and all of the other friendly beasts around the manger tomorrow night, let us, let us be renewed again by the love of Christ. Let us reaffirm our commitment to the God of all creation. It's our time, it's, it's our responsibility, responsibility our, our calling to respond to the pain and the hunger, the oppression that is all around us. As we gather tomorrow to celebrate this this most wondrous birth, let us recommit ourselves to the work of sharing the, the light, the hope, the peace of Christ with all the world. Amen.